Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I am absolutely pumped for today's episode. Uh, I'm joined by bodybuilding royalty. Um, this guy has, has achieved so much within the health and fitness industry and inspired so many people, um, including myself. And yeah, I'm just very grateful to to have him on today. So Tony Doherty, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. Mate, I wanted to get uh, get stuck into it and, and to, to start off the episode, um, just tell you a little bit of a story. So for those that listen to or watch the show, you, you would know that um, in the past, um, I competed for a few years um, and, and I obviously absolutely love um, the sporty bodybuilding and, and just health and fitness in general. And Throughout those years when I was competing, um, I remember before I'd ever been to a Doherty's gym, I'd spent a bit of time. I used to spend a fair bit of time over in LA and like so many people over in, in LA, going to Gold's gym was was at the top of the list for for while I was over there. Um, you know, it was not just a gym, it's a destination and coming back and then getting into competing, you know, that spot for me uh, here was Doherty's in Brunswick and, you know, that's that's kind of how I saw it and how I still see it and I think a lot of people do is... You know, it's not just a gym. It's not just another place you can go and train it. It really is like a destination to be, you know, you'd be really motivated and looking forward to getting in there. You'd finish your session, you'd sit around and, and have your shake or have something to eat and, and talk to your mates and stuff after training. So, uh, mate, firstly, I just wanted to say uh, massive congratulations on on having that and, and, and you know, Doherty's all over the, all the Doherty's gyms, but particularly I think the Brunswick one um, for me is just like a bit of like a mecca here and, and I say very similar to, to Gold's over in LA. Yes, pretty good analogy. Um, I went to Gold's in my early 20s, you know, sort of made that pilgrimage and I knew I wanted to open a gym in Melbourne at the time. I was up in country Victoria in Bendigo and I looked at Gold's and thought, you know, wow, I was just overwhelmed by it, you know, it was yeah. like the place I always wanted to go. And um, over the next few years, you know, I was traveling a lot. The first time I went there, I think I stayed for three months and just trained every mm. single day. And <clears throat> then I kind of saw it go a little bit more corporate, you know, yep. o- over the next few years. So I thought, you know, if, when I do that in Melbourne, I want to do something, but to keep it more real, mm-hmm. really pure, um, like a home away from home for people, um, like a you know, like a mecca of bodybuilding. But as you said, a destination point. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought. I don't want to build just a gym or a business. I want to build a brand. Mm-hmm. And I want that brand yeah. to be like known all over the world. Yeah. You know, like Gold's Gym was. Yeah. And um, I was doing some work with the guys there um, when I was traveling and they actually offered me the the license and franchise for Gold's for, Gold's for Australia. Oh, okay. And it was like 30 grand and I didn't have 30 bucks. So I was yeah. just like, fuck, <laughs> I'd love to. But you know, there's just no way I could have done that. So shit, what am I going to call my gym? And I'd already been promoting bodybuilding for a while, so yeah, you know, my name was kind of out there. I thought, might as well just call it Doherty's mm. Gym and make a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> many years later. How many locations is there now? So you've got uh, Brunswick, the one in CBD, Bendigo, and uh, no, not Bendigo. No, not Bendigo. We, we sort of overexpanded and licensed out a few um, branches, if you like, and for whatever reason, they didn't didn't work out. Okay. And I'm just so into my brand that if it starts to look different or people want to add classes or do something that's mm, not part of what that. we do, I'm out. Yeah, I love that. So you know, there's been a couple of them we've had to just go take down the signs and mm-hmm. say, sorry, yep. this, this is a good alternative. 
So now we've got uh, uh, Brunswick, the city, and Dandenong, and mm-hmm. then I've got one over in Perth, which is like I, I love it. It's like Little Brunswick. Awesome. It's like you know the same sort of pictures and vibe, yep. and you walk in, get the same feeling, and great partners over there. And uh, so right now we're just sticking to the four gyms mm-hmm. and then the protein store separately, uh, the, uh, the protein bar separately down in Albert Park. There, yep, yep. Um, so that's that's where we're at right now. I think you can you can always tell whenever you step foot into a gym, and you would have obviously been to gyms all across the world. When you walk in, you can really tell whether the owners are in it for for uh, financial reasons and and to make money and to and to have that kind of passive income or, or just it's a, it's their business or you walk in and you can really tell when the owner is super passionate about it and that's what that's what I really love even in the city I, I remember some of like the best workouts I've had is during the expos and whatnot down down at the exhibition center and then you all head down with your mates to to gold's uh, to Doherty's down in the city and it's just such a good vibe yeah, it's pretty cool because, you know, you've got all the pro bodybuilders, all the best athletes in the world, and then all the ones that we bring in as celebrities, you know, it might be Kai Green or Jay Cutler yeah. or whatever, but then all the Insta-famous people yeah. as well. And, you know, Arnold himself has mm. been in there to train and you just don't know. I always said to people, you never know who you're going to see at Doherty's gym, yeah. you know, whether it's an AFL footballer or a celebrity or a fighter or WWE wrestlers or everyone's trained there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it makes me kind of buzz a little bit when I think about how far it's come. Um, but it's it's you're right when you said about you know knowing whether or not an owner's an owner or whether it's like an investor it's a lifestyle or an investor and i remember yeah. when i first started doing the australian pro and i'd bring out all the um this is before the arnold's and fit fitex and all that sort of stuff and i'd bring all the pros out from america and they'd say god where we train we don't even know who the owner is and you're hands-on you're making coffees you're mopping the floor you're mm. packing away weights whatever it takes yeah and i'm like oh yeah. <laughs> I thought everyone. I thought everyone was like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's kind of cool to hear that stuff. Yeah, it speaks volumes. As a as a child or growing up, when you first started getting into into lifting, I remember I heard on on a podcast once that I listened um, where you were a guest. I, I believe you were saying that Arnold was was a big inspiration or one of your first inspirations to get in into the gym. Oh, to- to- yeah? totally. Yeah, I was like you know fourteen year old kid, and I was watching. It was one of those nighttime variety shows. Mike Walsh or Ray Martin, not Ray Martin, someone like that. Yeah. Was, you know, they used to always have those variety shows. And Arnold was out promoting his book called The Education of a Bodybuilder. Yes. And um, I watched it with my dad and I'm like, what's that? He, he goes, what? I said, that guy, there's a bodybuilder. I said, what are those things in his yeah. arms? <laughs> he goes, oh, they're veins. I'm like, can anyone look like that? And he goes, well, I guess if you found out about you know, training and nutrition yeah. and lost a bit of weight you could try it i don't need to know anything about it i'm like so anyone can look like that he goes i guess so i go well, why doesn't everyone look like that i'm just <laughs> like ding i had this light bulb moment and i remember going back to him and said listen forget about school and university and everything else that we sort of yep. worked out i want to be a gym owner a promoter and a bodybuilder yeah and that's it so it came easy everything came Mine easy to up. me no i never questioned it again and um you know, I thought one day I'd love to meet Arnold or to get to know Arnold or for him just to know who I was. So the way things turned out, you know, being his international yeah. business partner and travelling with him for seven years, um, I still have these little pinch myself moments or a photo will pop up of me and Arnold having a cigar in Shanghai or Barcelona or San Paulo or Rio or somewhere and I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah, unreal, yeah. <laughs> You're just a kid from the bush. Yeah, well, mate, I definitely want to dive into that um, today. But before we move on to that... Um, I, I often talk on the show and, and I'm a 
you know, especially over the last kind of three to four years, I've really found myself diving into a lot of the personal development and mindfulness type of things and uh, particularly meditation and, and journaling and whatnot. And I'm a massive uh, believer and advocate of the law of attraction and, and really thinking about the things that, that you want um, to achieve in life or whatever it may be. And then, and, and really obsessing over that stuff. Is that for someone like yourself who's achieved so much um, and I'm sure there's still so much to come. Is that something that you've practiced over the years in terms of like visualizing wh- how you want things to go or, or what you, you envision, you know, Doherty's gyms to be or, or, you know, stepping on on stage presenting with Arnold and, and running all these expos with Arnold? Is that something that you kind of had in your mind prior to all of this happening? And is it something that you still do today? <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm not that regimented or kind of um... – I don't sort of put things into category. So I've never like sat down and written down my goals or okay, dreams yeah. or journalized or this sort of thing. But I've definitely always visualized mm. and I've always believed. I'm like, if you can think it, you can do it. Because if, if someone that doesn't think like that, they probably don't think about living outside of the box and, and what, doing yeah. what you can do. And I've always had this great um, self-belief and, you know, I never wanted to have a boss. I remember when I was a kid, like even before I saw Arnold on TV and I'd see people in offices and doing this nine to five thing and dressing up and basically doing something they hated all day, every day. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'm going to work it out so that I can kind of live on my own terms yep. and think up my own shit and just to to kind of like to think it up and then just go hunt it down. Mm-hmm. So I've always been like yeah. that and then I get quite obsessive. Yeah. Once I get my hooks into something, I know it can work. Like, you know, I, I was running bodybuilding in Victoria for the IFBB and I, I waited, I, you know, I learned everything I could about it because I knew one, one day I'd get my shot to take mm-hmm. over and mm-hmm. then to change the sport forever. Yeah, spend you know? that time in the trenches first and, and yeah, figure but, it all out. You know, people, I think, are inherently really impatient and when it doesn't come true, it doesn't work out. It's not as easy as they thought. They give up. So when I first started with the gyms, everyone had you know a better education because I didn't finish school. Everyone had more money. You know, everyone was probably smarter or better looking or whatever. But they they just I, I knew I could outlast them all. I'm like as soon as they hit like a little hard patch, mm-hmm. they're just going to give Quite up. Quits. And then I'll just keep going. And I remember you know all the big name gyms that were open back in the day, and I just thought, I'll just keep going, you know, and they all at some stage gave up or quit or got yeah. sick of it and then we became the gym. You know, and when I started doing you know, the, the bodybuilding shows and everything else, I just thought I'll just keep at it. When I first started, I remember I started the Australian Pro in 2001 and everyone said that'll fail, you know, who's going to come out all the way to Australia for like a small uh, prize money mm. and I thought, well, I reckon I can look after the athletes better than anyone else and just change the whole way things are done. I remember the first Australian pro and I've got indoor pyrotechnics and I've always said this <laughs> thing that when people say it can't be done, I'm like, oh, okay, oh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> that's, that, that's like, you know, red flag. I'm yeah. like, right. Okay. So they said, I remember when I first booked the, um, it was the John Batman theater and bodybuilding never been in theaters before. It was, you know, basketball courts or hotel, yeah. hotel ballrooms, this sort of shit, which I hated. <laughs> I hated you know, how people do like wedding tables at bodybuilding shows. I'm like, why don't you make a show out of it? Yeah. I remember one of my great inspirations was going to see the WWE or the WWF, what it was, you know, the Vince McMahon wrestling show, and seeing that they used pyrotechnics and great MCs and theatre and Made entertainment. An so I said, I want to make bodybuilding, pure bodybuilding entertainment. Mm. I'm sick of all these gaps in between divisions and people coming to see you like in your first shows and IMBA, whatever yeah. it was, ICNN, and the show's running till midnight and people coming to watch you sitting there for 9, 10, 12 yeah. hours going, fuck. 
Never again. Never again, yeah. So I always wanted people to leave the theatre wanting more. Go, wow, yeah. I just wanted that to keep going. So I always had this kind of vision. And when I started the Australian Pro in 2001, you know, it was the newest show in the world. Did our first year. And what I did, I lit the stage up. And they said, oh, we can't do that. They said, why can't I do it? They said, oh, fireworks. And they couldn't give me an answer. So I just kept at the management until they said, all right, the reason you can't do it is because you have to have a fire warden present. You have to switch off the um, alarms and have a fire warden present. It's really expensive. Well, how much? And they're like, I think it was $280. I'm like, can I just pay now and yeah. get my fucking fireworks in? <laughs> no, I guess so. Yeah. So I remember I had the meeting with the pros in the first year, Chris Cormie and Dexter Jackson, Dennis James, all these guys that you know I really admired and have become lifelong friends with, You know, particularly Chris, Dexter, Dennis, these guys. And uh, I remember we had the competitors meeting. I said, listen – when I say, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest bodies, biggest, baddest bodies in the world are back, I'm going to light the stage up. You can hear all these explosions and flames. I did it and they just about all jumped off the stage. And I thought <laughs> the hair was going to catch fire because it was really loud and hot. And, yeah. and um, that became our signature. You know? And then years later, a few, just a couple of years later, the Olympia did fireworks for the first time. Yeah, right. Ah. Started a bit of a trend. So I picked up all the competitors from the airport because when I was traveling with our Australian bodybuilders that I managed and trained back in the day, I'd hate it that we'd be stuck at an airport and no one would be there to meet mm -hmm. us in a foreign country. And instead As of being, a professional athlete, yeah, you right. expect better, yeah. And, and we'd always get put in hotels and you could only get room service. So you'd fly... Remember one, one year we I took Sonny Schmidt to Niagara Falls for his first... Pro show, you know, with flying economy and just zigzagging everywhere to get a cheap way there. It was like close to 38 or 40 hours to get there. And he's dieted for, you know, 12 weeks or 16 weeks. And we got there. There's no food available, no one to pick us up. And it was room service. It was like lasagna, <laughs> uh, chips, and burgers, and yeah. you know, American style. I'm like, shit, you got to eat, but you can't do that before a show. Yeah. So the pattern then when we'd go to the Ironman competition in LA and all these different shows around the world and apart from the Olympia and the Arnold no one thought of this stuff so well, instead of putting them in hotel rooms I'll put them in service departments mm -hmm. and you know have an oven and yep. a microwave and a stove top and a fridge and then before they get there I, I'd get our volunteers or myself most times in the early days to go to the rooms and pack them full of stuff I knew they'd want and then when they'd land we'd have cars picked up and bring them straight to the gym we'd have barbecues set up out in the footpath cooking um, chicken breast and lean steak and um, the type of fish yep. they wanted to have big plates of, of, of white rice, brown rice, sweet potatoes, all the things because awesome. I was a bodybuilder, mm. I know exactly what you want. And they're like, wow, no one in the world does this. So I'm like, cool, when you get back to America, can you tell all your mates that this is, this is the coolest, yeah, yeah. all your buddies, this is <laughs> the coolest show in the world. And I'm like, man, you're the best fucking promoter. And then Flex Magazine, I think the first year did like an eight-page spread and label oh, it something like you know, the guy that's going yeah. to change the world of bodybuilding for the athletes. I'm like, that's cool. So anyway, I kept chipping away and everyone said, well, it won't work a second time. You got lucky. Okay. It won't work a third time. Then word spread and then it become a really well-known show. Mm. And, and I'd purposely done it right after the Arnold. And part of that was because I knew everyone was in shape and they're going to get a free trip to Australia, yeah. maybe win 20 grand and mm. you're in shape anyway. Even like you get a good holiday. <laughs> right? And then they heard about how well they got treated. So like they talked to each other and Chris Cormier was my greatest promoter. He'd tell everyone, dude, if you're going to do one show in your whole career, go out and see Tony. And mm -hmm. this spread and it grew, it turned into a monster. Yeah. Anyway, you know, the longest running shows obviously with the Arnold, uh, the Olympia, then the Arnold, and then it was the Ironman and New York Night of Champions. And then for one reason or another, those shows all folded. And at some stage I realized 
we're the third longest running pro show in the world. Until the pandemic hit, that would have been my 20, 20th or 21st um, pro show, in, you know, annual pro show consecutively in a row, which made it the third longest running show in the world. And that's what I mean about sticking at mm. it and just outlasting everyone because they just fall away. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So many people uh, in that mindset of instant gratification. And yeah. if they don't get it, like you said, it's on to the next thing. And, and so it's very rare now to find people in anything, whether it's business, sport, whatever it is that are in it for the delayed gratification. Yeah. They, you know, the problem is they want the easy way through and want to make money. When your focus is money, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Right? Same as my gym. I'm, yeah. I'm hopeless. I, you know, like <laughs> I've never had a budget. I've never had any idea of ingoings, outgoings, how many. I still don't know how many members I've got. <laughs> I'm just, it's never been my focus. It's yeah. like, Build this incredible product and everyone will talk about it and they'll come. One day you'll be a destination point where people fly mm. um, you know, from interstate and overseas just to come and come see, your, see your gym. You know, and I've had over the years probably half a dozen people have bought houses within a block of the Brunswick gym because... So they can come to the gym. Yeah, man. That's and, amazing. And, you know, people have had Doherty's tattoos and people have moved as in, and moved their family close by and all this sort of thing and even left their state left queensland and sydney to come down and work in melbourne so they could train at my gyms and when when your focus is that um everything else comes everything flows but you know sometimes it's hard you know like i remember about the third year in with the pro shows i'd lost a shit ton of money i still remember at the some guy got me some cheap flights to go back and one of them kicked off at the airport and they looked at the fine print on, on, on the flight uh, conditions and said, well, you're meant to be here for five days on this kind of ticket. This is only day three. And they'd always let me get away with that because someone was rude. They kicked off and I had to buy. It was the first time I'd made money out of the pro show. It was 2000. It was three or four. And I had to buy seven or eight one-way tickets to LA on a credit card at the airport because they're like, you told us we could go back tonight. You know, some uh, of their wives had to work and all this sort yeah. of stuff. And I still remember it was $17,900. Wow. And I just made 20 grand. I'm like, oh, fuck. oh. <laughs> right. And I never complained. I'm yeah. like, okay. I just learned a whole lot about um, flights and business. And yeah. that kind of organization, I've always just taken any um, obstacle as learning. Learning. You know, and. Um, Oh, we can't go on that holiday. I want to go, whatever. But my point is to anyone listening: you've fucking got to eat dirt. You've just got to sometimes stumble and take two steps backwards to go one step forward. And I remember I did the first FedEx, and we kind of broke even. I thought, oh, this is awesome. Then I listened to the wrong people. They go, you got to do this kind of advertising. You got to spend this here. And I remember I had this one sponsor. He was like, I want to see your advertising plan. And this and I was doing billboards and street posters, and he wanted radio ads, and this, and someone talked me into TV ads. Anyway, here I am. I've never made any money. It's my second expo. I literally would borrow money or sell something, a watch, a motorbike, whatever, to get the deposit for the convention center. And I remember it's the second year and I lost 120 grand. Fuck. I'm like, shit. And yeah, my accountant's like, you got to cut your losses. Get out of this. I go, what about this? What about I didn't go to university? It would have cost more than 120 grand to go to university to learn what I just learned about advertising, about marketing, about believing in your gut Mm. and not listening to people that don't know your product. People, these experts have got these agencies and shit that just want to come and tell you how your world works when they're not a part of it. So Mm. I said, I think I just got the most valuable lesson in the year. So I'm going to do it for another year. I'm going to make that back and then a little bit more. And then I've got a bigger plan, which of course was the Arnold Arnold. Arnold Sports Festival. So if I had given up then, I wouldn't be here doing this. Yeah. You know, I probably would have lost the gyms and just 
going back to being like a regular person that hates their life. Powerful, yeah. That's perseverance. With um, obviously, I really would like to to dive into this a little bit. So, Arnold being a massive inspiration for you, and and I think, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But for for those that know who you are and, and are in the fitness scene, have obviously seen what you've done and the partnership and the friendship you guys have built over the years. Now, how did the first time you guys met come about? Well, the actual first time we met, I went to the Arnold Sports Festival in Columbus. We didn't really meet. I paid the extra 50 bucks to have a photo with him in the VIP yep. thing. And I remember you get rushed into this room, you shake hands, someone grabs you and pushes you out the door. And back then it was a Polaroid photo and you'd be shaking it and someone would give you this paper, the cardboard frame to stick it in. And you sit there, come on, come Hoping on. that it looks good. So that's yeah. the first time I met Arnold. He didn't remember this, of yeah. course, because he did probably 200 that day. And then... Um, when, when I was doing my FitEx Expos, I had this vision that one day Arnold was going to go international because he always said he would with his Arnold Sports Festival. And I thought, well, I'm already one week after the American one they have been for years. And I know he likes this multi-sport aspect and this is how it looks. <clears throat> so I remember that back to the first year when I had the photo with him and I got to meet Jim Lorimer, who was the founder of the Arnold Sports um, Festival worldwide and his son took over, Bob. And when I met Jim, um, he didn't start – how about this? He didn't start the Arnold Sports Festival till he was 60. Wow. Yeah, re- retired so and do the sports festival with Arnold because they'd been friends through promoting bodybuilding but not expos. Yep. And, uh, you know, I went to his 90th birthday. He's 96 now. You know, he's only just stopped going to the office last year. Insane, eh? So I got to meet him and I said, can I ask you one question, sir? And he looked at me like this little, you know, little kid from yeah. Australia <laughs> with a big mouth and he's like, yeah, what is it? And I, I said, well – I'm just working it all out. When do you start on next year's event? And he's like, Monday morning. I'll go, whack. It was like a slap in the face. I like, shit, I'm not mature enough or smart enough to do that just yet. But I planted this seed. Mm-hmm. Right? So everyone else says, oh, did you see who's over there? I'm going to get a picture with so-and-so. You know, there's all these, uh, you know, um, wrestlers or, or kick, um, kickboxers or hot chicks or whatever. And that was their focus. And I'm walking around going, how many booths, how much per booth, doing the math yep. and thinking about, shit, it must take a long time to put together, which is why I asked Jim that. Anyway, forward wind. And in 2011, um, Arnold finished being governor and he said, I'm going to go and do this in every continent in the whole world. Right? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to start with Europe. And he chose Madrid because that's where he'd film his breakout movie, which is Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. And when it was in, and I was watching all this on YouTube and shit, and I'm like, okay, it's on. I'm going to build this product so that when he looks, because Australia is a continent, right? So when he looks at Australia as a continent to take over, one, I'm going to be the only choice. Two, yep. I'm going to have every single person he asks, I'm going to already be close with, and they're all going to say there's only one person for yep. you in Australia is Tony Doherty. So so I started building my expo in a likeness to him. I got the martial arts, I got yep. the strongman, the powerlifting, the arm wrestling, all the sort of things that I knew he liked. I'd studied Arnold my whole life. I'm a little obsessed. Um, and I thought, well, shit, what's next? And he was in Madrid and he did that when he said, the next continent we're going to take over is South America and we've chosen Rio de Janeiro. Okay, it's getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> and he did this speech in, in Rio when he did the first one and someone sent me the YouTube and it was like, Hey, it was fantastic that we took over South America. The next continent is Australia. My like, fuck, I'm just going to wait for the phone to ring. Yeah, and the yeah. phone rang. Amazing. So the you know the IFBB bodybuilding um, contacted me to go out to Vegas for a meeting, and they sat me next to, as it turned out, Bob Lorimer. 
Ah. And he said, look, we've got something to put to you. We'd like to merge your um, Fit X Expo yep. and turn it into an Arnold. I go, no, I'm not letting go of that. That's my thing, you know. So yeah. maybe we do one in Sydney and this and that. They said, well, this is the deal. And they offered me the deal. And, you know, I'm sitting there like a gushing kid going, <laughs> yep, I'm in. <laughs> but I had the street smarts to say, look, you know, I'm going to have to give this some thought. I have to go do the budget and check out the venues in Melbourne and have a look at when we can do it and whether or not I'm willing to give up my FedEx brand yep. to partner with you guys at a rally. I'm like, yeah. So then um, that was at the Olympics. That would have been September in Vegas. And then Bob Lorimer said, well, I need to come to Melbourne inspect your venues. Yeah. So he came in January. I remember because the Australian Open was on. I thought I've got to impress this guy. And my buddies were running all the security for the Australian Open. So I took oh, yeah. him backstage at the Australian Open. They got the white gloves and took the cup of the Australian Open oh, wow. out, of, out of the glass cabinet and let him hold it up for a picture. And we had front row seats. He's like, who are you? You know. <laughs> and then I, I took him to the, you know, the MCG and MSAC and all the great sporting facilities, obviously the convention centre and hotels close by. He's like, this is the best city in the world we've ever seen for an exit boat because all of your facilities are right on the right in the middle of the city. Hmm. I'm, we're in. He goes, now I need you to come out in, in March, this is in January, and meet with Arnold and tell him why you should be his next partner. So that was the real wow. time I met him. Amazing. So, so I went to um, Columbus, Ohio for the Arnold Classic and I had a new suit made. This is kind of funny. This is how fucked my life is. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we go out there, right? I, 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 you know, I've got a plan. I'm obsessed. In the meantime, Arnold's contacted um, yeah, Jim Mannion, who runs the IFBB yeah. Pro League, who I've been loyal and close to for, for, forever. Mm -hmm. And he's got my back and I've got his yeah. back and I've fixed a lot of little things for him worldwide when we've been on the road and there's been problems with security or problem with getting stuck in foreign countries, all kinds of shit. Mm -hmm. I'm a street, street yeah. guy. So, but, and he's always been a street guy. So he, he really took to me from day late, one. Yeah. So I knew Arnold would call him. And then my publicist here, uh, Max Markson, he'd organised a tour a year earlier with Arnold where he'd come in for like a real estate kind of thing. Okay. And Max had contacted me to look, I'll give you a few free tickets if you can get, you know, advertise it through your network because he knew I knew everyone in bodybuilding fitness on the air. And I'll give you a ticket, you can have a photo with Arnold. So that was actually the second time I met him. But I waited till dead last. I didn't say a word. I'll see you again soon. Because I knew... This is, I guess, a year before it all started, but I had this uh, uh, really clear vision. You planted the seed, yeah. Right? So I, I don't need to tell him who I am just yet. I'm just playing a little chess. So we get to Columbus. Here's a funny bit. So we get to Columbus and and uh, they said, look, we're going to get all the partners from around the world in together. We've got the table for Spain, the table for, for Brazil, and the table for Africa we're looking at at the time, and a, a table for Chinese delegates we're looking at Asia, and a table for the Australian contingent, the delegates from Australia. So I had a new suit made and my sponsor, Adriano Carboni, still making suits for me. I had this beautiful suit made. I'm, I'm going to meet Arnold. You know, <laughs> I've been emceeing shows and doing, you know, talking, interviewing people forever. And the first time in my life, I'm just as nervous as shit. Then Jim Lorimer got up and, and said, um, we're going to ask you know, each of the partners to, to make a speech and say why they should be the Arnold partner. Anyway, so we all went into this room and there's all these tables all catered, you know, like a, like a wedding, you know, yeah, like yeah. knives and forks and plates <laughs> and fucking glasses and shit. And it, here's this label on the table, South America, Spain, Europe, Australia. I'm on my own. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's all these delegates of 10 at all these tables. There's like 60, meant to be 60 people in the room, there's 51. 
obviously <laughs> still a bit embarrassing <laughs> new suit on but uh i forgot to bring a team of delegates or government officials or any of this shit and then arnold walks in he's clocked me and he's like what are you doing there on your own come and <laughs> come and sit at my table and Amazing. we hit it off and then everyone had to make a speech you know we're talking about economics and you know, government support and this and this i didn't have any of it and they said they had the speech from uh from um, Spain, and they'd already done, I think, two Arnolds by then. They had okay. a speech from uh, South America, who'd done one or two, and then they had a, a speech from the Chinese guys that wanted to do it. And it, was, it really worked out good for me because this Chinese guy was kind of angry, and he got up and he couldn't speak English. He had an interpreter, so he's got up. He's like, da, 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 da. you know, and and his interpreter kind of, you could see something was uncomfortable. She rolled her eyes. She goes, he just wanted to say. Thank you, everyone, for coming. We love to have an event in China. He goes, no, 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 no. And he paid out. And still to this day, I don't know what the fuck was going on. He was hostile. Oh, right. And it was terrible. So he she was making shit up. And she, keep right. And, and she couldn't put two words together, not because of the language barrier. She just had never done public speaking. Yeah. I thought, I'm going to look really good after that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then I said, please, from Australia, come up, Tony Doherty. I looked at that because by now I'm sitting next to Arnold because yeah. my table's empty, right? And he goes, come on, tell us what you got. So I got up there and, and look, I said, it's great hearing all these other um, um, partners from around the world and, and what they do and what they've done and what they want to do. And I said, I can't promise you anything like that, but we've got the best facilities in the best city in the world. It's the most, at the time I said, Melbourne's the most livable city yep. in the world. I said, Bob's been out there and we had a great time. And, and I said, but what I can promise you is I will come and help out at every single Arnold Classic in the world from this day forward. I will not miss one. I said, I'm going to go home now and I'm going to work for, it was 361 days until the show. I said, I'm not going to have a day off for 361 days. I promise you that. I'll give it everything I've got and I will not let you down, sir. I said, the opportunity you've given me is is the greatest thing that's ever happened. That's how I'm going to treat it. Something like that, I'm paraphrased, but something yeah. along those lines. Everyone clapped and I went back to the table. I was just grabbing me in this big hug. And he <laughs> said, fantastic. He goes, it was a great speech. He goes, your, your passion shines through that's amazing and um he said it to me many times over the years and yeah. the, rest, the rest is kind of history you know and then the next one was uh brazil so yeah. i went i just went that's amazing what it throughout those years of friendship and obviously by the sounds of things um you two clicked pretty much straight away when you actually got to know each other or yeah. when he got to know you what, what do you think has been i guess one you know one of your best memories with arnold and then two like the things that you've learned from him, like things that you've taken away from how he goes about life and how he attacks, like all the projects that he that he puts his mind to. Probably a couple of great moments, you know, like I think um, when I first brought him to Melbourne and it, it, we got into the room, it was the Langham Hotel and we looked down at the river and he goes, look at those boats, we've got to get one. And I'm like, get a boat. You know? <laughs> anyway, we went on a boat and I'd, I'd got him a box of cigars for um, – you don't have any yep. room and you know, really laid on because Arnold's kind of particular about a lot of things. Okay. So Talked to all the partners, done my homework. And you've got to remember, when when he chose to work with me, there was people who became very, very jealous of been promoting yeah. bodybuilding for a long time. So I'd had some bad media and associations, right. you know, mm -hmm. everyone knows that. So I had people actually cut double-page spreads out of the Herald Sun and send them to his office and say, this guy's like... Mr. Big, he's like this criminal. Right. Why would you want to be in business with yeah. him? So to his credit, you know, he's covered in tattoos and he's he's had a kind of rough past, you know. Yeah. He's a street guy, all this shit. So 
um, Arnold, to his credit, looked right into all that and said, well, he's never uh, had a criminal record. He's never been charged with yeah, anything. Yeah. This is all just hearsay as far as I'm concerned. Yep. I'm really impressed with him. And then that's when he rang Jim and Max and someone else to to get like references on me and it all come up really right. good. So, yeah. so we go back to that. So he said, I want to get this boat. So I remember we were on the boat and he pulled out two of the cigars that I'd left in his room already cut, ready to go. And he goes, tell me about Melbourne. Let's smoke a cigar. And I had my mum and dad on the boat. It was like 15 or 20 of us. Yeah. Went up past the MCG and I showed off Melbourne to him. That was sort of the start of this first memory. But the greatest bit was... Um, the first time I walked in on stage in Melbourne and no one believed this would happen. There was people there, I reckon, bought a ticket just to see me fuck up, just to go, <laughs> I bet he doesn't show up. Why would Arnold come out for, for Tony Dolby? Yeah. You know, and I'll never forget as long as I live, um, I said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's walked out and give me a high five and just look at this guy, you know. <laughs> I can't remember the whole speech. That, that was one. Amazing memory. Um, Would have been surreal. Yeah. I remember a couple of years later and they'd played a trick on me and we had it, maybe it was the third or fourth Arnold Australia. And I'd bought this trophy back because I'd always go to Columbus. It was too hard to ship this big because it's a big bronze statue we give to the men's open yep. winner. And pardon me, and uh, I'd, I'd, fuck, I had to pay extra baggage whatever to get it back and Bob's like, um, Arnold's got this other box coming. It's going to get delivered to you, Jim, but you can't open it because we've got a surprise for, for the best pose. It just, they stooge me completely. Yeah. Anyway, um, he came out to do his speech and all this sort of thing. And uh, I said, thank you, everyone. Put your hands together for Arnold's sort of standing ovation, all that sort of shit. And he goes, just wait right there for a minute. And he went back and he bought out this bronze statue of him that he'd had made by this sculptor from uh, somewhere in Europe, Spain or Germany, I can't remember. And he came out and he said, we've been messing with you all along. This is for you. This is your lifetime achievement award wow. for being the, the, the best partner I ever had. And That's amazing. Yeah, I've got this picture off my office and I look at it sometimes and I tear up. I'm yeah. like, fuck, how did that happen? How, how did that happen? Yeah. Right? And then there's lots of little things. I remember, I'll just tell you one more. Yeah, yeah. We're in um, uh, Los Angeles and we're eating, we're having breakfast at the Rose, Rose Cafe. I've had breakfast with him a bunch of times. Look, I've been to his office a bunch of times. I've been to his home. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had parties in his house and smoked cigars in every continent with him <laughs> probably a hundred times. All the stuff I couldn't have thought of. Yeah. I remember one time in Shanghai and he just got me and got some guy to bring out this big humidor on a trolley. And we'd sat there for hours and just talk shit about the world, you know, yep. politics and sport, life and death and a lot of memories like that. But this one, we're in um, the Rose Cafe and he was meant to show up to see all the strongmen. And he goes, he called his assistant, um, and said, look, don't worry about that. I'm not coming for breakfast, but get Tony and Bob and our partner from um, Brazil, Anna and Wayne from uh, from Africa. Tell them, wait out the front. There's a car coming. So we go out the front and there's this um, yeah, big hot SUV pulls up, black drivers, yeah. a little bit, guards. So we jump in it and off we went up into the hills um, and, and we went to um, the place where they film all the war movies and this is where Arnold keeps his tank. So he's got the original <laughs> tank. So he tells the story of when he was in the Austrian army and he escaped to do his first bodybuilding show in Munich yeah. and he was driving this tank and he found out that the Austrian government had bought all these tanks from America and they were replacing them. So he contacted the, the president of, of Austria and said, you know, remember me, Arnold, I kind of made your country famous, <laughs> yeah. but what are you doing with those tanks? And he said, we can't um, sell you the tanks because we've got a deal 
with the Americans. We'd need a, right. a letter from like the Minister of Defence, the Vice President, all this stuff. And I was like, that's all you need, I'll get it done. <laughs> so he had like Colin Powell or someone, I'm paraphrasing, one of those guys like write a letter to right. the President of Austria. Anyway, they went back and forth and they said, look, um, we can't sell it to you because we've got to deal with the, the replacement company, but we can give it to you. So they did a full reno on it for him, Shit. done it up like new, and they said, we've actually found the very tank that you did your apprenticeship in and we're shipping it out to you. <laughs> so it was in a museum or something for a few years. Then he got it onto this um, this movie set, this like this farm in, in, in outside of LA. So we get out of the SUV and I hear this rattle and noise, boom, and this tank comes sideways around this corner <laughs> and up out of the manhole pops Arnold. He's, He's like, oh. <laughs> Tony, get in. <laughs> And and I got in the in the other hole and the other part was all sort of strapped across the top of it and we went bush bashing in the tank with him. It was the best day. It was like because I didn't know it was coming. It's unbelievable. That was story. as cool as shit. You know, I've got pictures. I'll show you pictures later. But stuff like that, man. It's just been, you know, it's been surreal. You know, we went on um, safaris in Africa. You know, where it was just me and him and the boys in, yeah. in a place in the middle of the desert. You know, with all these beautiful animals around and. I could honestly sit here, it was seven years on the road and went to you know, dozens of countries, just sit here and tell you stories all yeah. day. But they're, they're the kind of ones that, That's amazing. That, that, that come to mind, yeah. Guys like Arnold and even people like Frank Zane and all that type of stuff, their, their physiques back in that era, um, I think for a lot of people is how they kind of like first saw bodybuilders and that's like the physique that a lot of people really aspire to, like the, the tapered waist, the, the, the V-shape with the wide lats and delts and everything. And, and obviously now in in the bodybuilding, um, it's definitely moved a lot more towards just bigger and better. Bigger is better. Um, and then you've got the classic physique now as well, which I think is, in my opinion, is probably my favorite favorite category. What's your view on on where body, bodybuilding is at at the moment? And do you think it's getting to the point? And I don't know if this is a if this is a good or bad question, but do you think it's getting to the point where? the bodybuilders are getting too big and it's losing that aesthetically pleasing look. And obviously the, the health risks are huge with so many people, unfortunately, especially recently, um, passing away from health complications and whatnot. Yeah, look, that's a tricky one. I think if you go back, there's been, you know, people have died young in strongman and bodybuilding yeah. and rest, wrestling. It's not just recently, but it's just because of the popularity and the profile everyone's mm. got, <clears throat> it's probably a lot more noticeable. But you can't play that down because it's very sad, you know, and, and yeah. you know, I've lost a couple of really close friends yeah. this year, um, the last six months or whatever. But um, I remember when I was travelling with Arnold early on and, you know, the guys were coming up with distended bellies yep. and not posing properly and they couldn't hold their poses. And I think we are in Brazil and we had a big powwow about it and Arnold got together with Jim Mannion and he said, listen, we... I care about this sport. That's yep. why I'm still doing all these things after all these years, and I want to be more involved. We've got to stop, stop that. We've this, got to, yeah. yeah, mark these guys down that don't can't hold their poses and can't hold their stomachs in. Because how are we going to market bodybuilding to the greater and general public mm -hmm. if they just it's, it looks so unachievable? And I think probably five six years ago it really changed. Yeah, you know where where they don't have those distended bellies anymore. They're certainly healthier than what they were mm -hmm. on stage. There's health checks in place and that sort of thing. But then classic bodybuilding started, and for people listening, basically the difference with that: if you're a pro bodybuilder in the open division, you can be 110, 120, you can be 140 kilos on stage. There's no limit. Mm -hmm. But with classic bodybuilding, we've got very strict height and weight limits. So if yep. you're, you know, five ten or 177, 178 centimeters, you can only be for example, 95 kilos. And I, I'm just guessing yeah, the yeah, numbers because yeah, yeah. I haven't got the chart in front of me. But it means everyone in that division 
that's proportionally the same height and weight. And and we we re- reward people with wide shoulders, small waist. That classic, like Frank Zane's a great yeah, example. Yeah. Frank Zane in the early seventies, look where you've got a taper and a small waist, and you can do a stomach vacuum. You can do these classic poses. And it's been going for I guess, what, four years, something like that now. It's been at the Olympia for three or four years, and it's quickly becoming the most popular uh, category. So mm-hmm. if you look at the current Mr. Olympia, Chris Bumstead from Canada. Yeah. He's got millions of followers, mm. like the top bodybuilders yeah. did have or do have. So I think, you know, pro bodybuilding, I love it. Like, I, I love my sport. I love freaks. Like, even all the, I've bought every guest poser out here for 25, 30 years. And you know, every Mr. Olympia since Lee Haney, I've had here guest posing, most of them straight after the Olympia or straight after the Arnold. I've seen, you know, every freak there is to see. I've been to, I've lost count of how many Arnolds and Olympias I've been to. And um, I love pro bodybuilding at that level, but it's 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 if you look at it, it's unachievable. It's fifteen years of your life to live like a monk to get to that sh- mm. that shape, and that's why now I love so much. And I didn't really like it when we first started doing physique, the board physique, short division. Yeah. But it's so achievable that someone can be in another federation. Go, I want to go into the IFBB Pro League, but it's going to take too long to look like Phil mm. Heath or Kai Green or someone. But what I would like to do is start there. And then they outgrow that and they go, now I'm going to do classic bodybuilding. And that's yeah. so achievable. Like yeah. you can get a pro look, like the guy that won his pro card, the show I just had on Saturday, Yeah, that's like his second year competing, mm. you know, and and that makes me happy. It's good. Yeah. It's achievable. It, it, it's a healthy look. And like you and said, it brings more mainstream eyes to the sport Well, as I well. think it does. I think it's really sellable, yeah. you know, and I think these guys are going to start getting some big sponsorship contracts yeah. and, you know, it, it, it'll change. And everything evolves, mm. you know, whether it's motor racing or high jump or sprinting. You know, sprinters get faster, you know, cars get faster, people jump higher, the weightlifting, no matter what, keeps yeah. going up and never goes down. Well, bodybuilders have got bigger, mm-hmm. but now they're getting bigger and tighter and back to that, even at the hardcore highest More level. More aesthetically pleasing yeah, looks, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's something you could debate all day, but I think we'd agree that the classic bodybuilding is just a great win for the sport yeah. and for the image of the sport. I agree. With uh, you know, you're someone like yourself who's been running, you know, the pro league and the the Arnold's and whatnot. Um, how do you see the status, I guess, of bodybuilding as a like mate, like for the mainstream now? Like, do you think um, how much do you think has that improved in terms of just eyes, more eyes on the sport, and people that aren't necessarily involved in bodybuilding wanting to come down and check it out and and put more attention towards the sport? Look, I actually think bodybuilding is a fucking cult. I don't think it's ever going to be mainstream because if you're trying to explain to a regular person that doesn't eat clean or give a fuck about how they look or their health or mm. or what goes in their mouth or yeah. how much they drink and this sort of thing, they look at us like weirdos, yeah, freaks. Yeah, you freaks know, yeah. They just think you get up and you shave your body and you get up in your speedos and you know <laughs> pose off and all this. Sort of thing. I don't think they'll ever get it. Yeah. Obviously, with the bikini and the men's physique, it's a much more appealing look. But will it be mainstream? I doubt it. Mm. And I kind of like the fact that it's it is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. And, and I love that I'm able to be the person I am in bodybuilding. Like we just had, right now, I've just finished on Saturday our first proper tour in three years, where we did um, five states as qualifying events. We had a pro qualifier in Melbourne. It was the single biggest one day bodybuilding event I've ever had or been involved with in Australia. It was bigger than what we normally get at the Arnold over three days we did in one day. It was in, insane. And the quality of the people coming through the first, like in the bikini division, in four or five states, the girl that won the first time has won the novice and the open. Wow. And a young girl who 
won the juniors in Queensland, the Open come down and won her pro card and got third in her first pro show. And oh, it's, yeah. all of a sudden, it's like you can do it. Mm, a good friend of mine, Joseph Mensell, which I, I know you're you're quite close with as well. Um, he obviously competed on the weekend, and and his feedback and just he just just spoke so highly of it, and he just absolutely oh, loves yeah, it. Yeah, big think, shout out to Joe. Yeah. Look, that was his first pro debut, yeah. and that had been delayed three times. So I talked mm, him into doing his yeah. pro debut at my 2020 event. So that got cancelled with six days to go. Yeah. So I'd had eight staff on for a year. I'd done all the advertising, the billboards, the street posters, the radio ads, everything paid for, yeah. and the government shut yeah. us down. So I felt sorry for me because I lost, you know, just shy of a million dollars lost, spent on, on wages and office rent and everything else. Advertising and everything. And, but I felt more sorry for guys like Joseph that yeah. were doing his pro debut and he put like six months of his yeah. life into it. Yeah. And then again it got cancelled and again it got postponed. So um, to see him finally do his pro pro debut and to place third and to look so look good. sensational, and yeah. Honestly, better than he would have looked if we had done it in 2020. Yeah. He was sensational. Yeah. You know, another 12 months now, he's been up at that level. And if you know Joe and I know yeah. Joe, he will just get, he's done yeah. his homework. He'll Mind's go back. have an absolute worry, yeah. Yeah, he, he has. And uh, he's actually my business partner in South Australia. Oh, when, mate. Yeah, when, yep, yep. when I took over the Pro League um, a few years ago, you know, mm. I had to pick one partner in each state and he was the only person I called. Mate, people like him and yourself, and and you know, I could there's I could go on for for days about you know the type of people that that I kind of get inspired by. I think success leaves clues, and and, and I believe that you know someone's values really determines on on not only what they achieve, but also how they're not that like not perceived by others, but how other people are able to be inspired and 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 led by by certain people. So, I've always been curious about. Do you are you consciously aware of certain values that you really try and stick to and uh, as a person and then you oh, kind of man. Can- I'm the biggest people watcher in the world. I don't stop learning. Uh, um, you know, I look at all almost like like chess. Like if someone's good to me or someone's bad to me, then I, I attack it equally with the same vigor. Yep. And you asked me earlier, I didn't answer it, you know, you know, what are the clues that Arnold's left and what have I watched mm. being around him? And not just him, but um some of the people I've met through him, you know, at, at his office, at, at his home, when we've had parties and stuff on, um, after the you know the strongman events in Los Angeles, and some of the stuff we've done out there, and I've met some of his acquaintances and friends who are out and out superstars and billionaires in their own right, and I'm I'm like, what can <laughs> yeah. I learn, you know, without being yeah. a dick? Yeah. Um, but you know, the first thing I notice about Arnold is he's absolutely the most curious person. Mm-hmm. So he asks you, when you interview him, like I've been lucky enough to, because I love interviewing, I've interviewed him I don't know how many times now, and he ends up asking me questions. Yeah, and yeah. He lets me take him a little bit further each time because we've built that trust. But what I always, I always walk away thinking he's just amazingly curious and he remembers people's names, he remembers their life story. I remember this one time we are in Rio de Janeiro and we'd found this um, Austrian restaurant and our promoters there, Felipe and Anna, had booked just for like 10 of us or 10 partners around the world to go up. Anyway, we all went outside because they opened up just for us and there was this old guy there who was like 80 who'd um, fled from Austria, I guess, after the war and gone to Brazil without a word of English and built this beautiful high-end Austrian restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, Swiss-Austrian, something like that. Anyway, um, we all went outside to smoke a cigar and talk shit because it must have been the day after the event. Maybe it was on the set, I can't remember. Anyway, Arnold said, I'll be out in a minute, I was going to talk to this guy. So the guy went in to cook up his his schnitzels and apple strudel and all this sort of thing. And we all came in to take our seats, there's probably 12, 10, 12 of us. And Arnold said, I've got to tell you this amazing story about 
yeah, say Fred yeah. uh, just told me his whole life story. Can you imagine he left there and you know, he came on a ship to here. He didn't have any English, so he had to do this. He washed dishes. He did. Anyway, he'd recalled and repeated the whole life story of this guy. He talked about it for 10 minutes. And the guy came in with these plates of stencils. And I goes, my man, he goes, I'm just telling everyone your incredible life story. You're like one of my heroes now. It's amazing, And yeah. he, he nearly broke down. And I've seen that time and time and time again where he just gives gives a shit about people and he doesn't talk down to to, to waiters or drivers or anything else. Mm. And I thought, if you can be as successful as him where you've mastered and, and absolutely annihilated three different careers and been a governor of California, <laughs> the fifth biggest economy in the world, and you've still got this dignity and curiosity with nobodies and people, that's something to learn. And mm. I've always been like that. So when yeah. we've got our big events, you'll find me out with the limo drivers or out, you know, yeah. out backstage with the sound guys yeah. or, the, or the bouncers because they used to be a bouncer, you know. Have, yeah. and, and I've noticed that. And then um, I guess the other one, and I need to say this to anyone that's listening that's wondering why they're not, it's not working out, is obsession. You've yeah. got to be fucking obsessed. People go, oh, you can't be too obsessed. You've got to have time off. What a lot of shit. It's just a cop out. Like, and when Arnold's working on a movie, for example, we can't contact him mm -hmm. as bodybuilding fitness expo promoters. He's unavailable. And when he's doing his think tank at the University of California, we can't contact him. He's not available. But when he's doing my show and the movie people are contacting his assistants or the political people or the the the, um, the green energy people, which he's really mm -hmm. passionate about, he's not available. Yeah. He's there for me. So whatever he does, he, he only does things that give him joy, which is something we can all learn from. But secondly, he's all in. And I have a saying... Yeah, I'm all in or I'm not in at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I've noticed that. And I've got a couple of friends that are in, for example, one um, mate from who's the husband of our partner in Brazil. And he, he's a billionaire in his own right. Makes hundreds of thousands of watches a year. Right. And I've spent time with him in Hong Kong where his factories are. And I've seen him come in, in with, with black under his eyes. I'm like, hey, did you have a big night? He goes, no, I haven't slept. You know, there's this watch. There's this one piece about it I didn't like, so I pulled the whole fucking thing to bits and I got a file and I sat there till five o'clock this morning and I got all the team to come in early because I wasn't going to show that to anyone with an imperfection. Yeah, that's like, amazing. You've got soccer teams and private jets and you're sitting there with a, yeah, 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 a yeah. file at five in the morning. you know. And, and so, as you said, success leaves clues. Yeah. So I watched this guy and I'm like, oh, I just learned something else. It's okay to be obsessed. Mm. In fact, it's essential to be obsessed. So now when I take on a project, I'm just – honestly, I'm unstoppable. It's just nothing. And if someone says it can't be done, I'm just – yeah, it can be done. You know. Watch I remember Arnold said, he goes, there's no such thing as impossible. It's possible. Yeah. You know, so I think you've got to have this, this obsession and just this uh, different kind of belief system. So I've always – like with my public speaking business – it's called Relentless Momentum, which yes. means never stop, never yeah. quit. It's a good podcast as well. I started, man, but yeah, I didn't have a studio like this. So yeah. I screwed up and I start and stop again. So I love that, it's man. one of the things on my list now that things are back to normal to mm. get back doing. And I want to like interview people like you're doing, you know, people that inspire me or people who've got an interesting story or whatever because I really enjoy that. And um, I want to start doing my Relentless Momentum seminars again where yep. I get, you know, a limited amount of people to come and have three hours of of my bullshit so yeah. the life story <laughs> the the keys to success that you can't learn from a school a university from a book or from the internet you can only learn from from life and you know getting through some shit 
and then I always have an open question and answer thing at the end where I'm just ask me anything. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, open book. Yeah. So um, yeah, I want to do some more of that stuff. It's fun. Mate, and, and share some stuff I've learned. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, mate, look on on behalf of obviously myself and and the show, but I think so many people that are that tune into all your content. Um, not only thanks for coming on the show, but uh, thanks for inspiring so many people and continuing to share so much value and and your passion, especially through your social media and stuff. It's um it, it impacts a lot of people, and um, I'm sure the best is still yet to come um and again mate just appreciate your time and i've really enjoyed it so thank you thanks for coming on thanks for having me on if i could just say one more thing to everyone out there we've all been through hell for the last two years all right if i can stop talking about it don't look back look forward focus on what you can do not what you can't do and everything gets better thank you amazing thanks mate thanks to everyone who has tuned into this episode uh we really do appreciate it and i'm sure everyone's got some incredible feedback um from today's show so if you do we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this one share it on instagram story tag myself tag tony i'll have the links to his socials and doherty's and and everything in the in the show notes as well um thanks again mate and thanks everyone who's tuned in cheers thanks for having me